Welcome to From Stuck to Growth, the podcast that takes you from the state of stuck to moving at the speed of growth. Here's your host, whose hard-won lessons led to these conversations today, personal growth geek, mentor, Glenn Lightfight. Thank you for joining us on another episode of From Stuck to Growth. Please help me welcome Chris Chembra. Hey, Glenn. So great being with you here today. Yeah, it's, it's great having you. I am thrilled to have you. I think one of the interesting things as we met was just I was automatically brought in by your charisma and mission that you had. So I'm grateful to be able to share this with everybody. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what you're working on these days and who you are? Yeah. You know, Glenn, the, um, the answer to what I'm working on and who I am is, you know, it's one and the same question. It's what do I believe in and what's the positive change I want to see in this world? And I eat, breathe, sleep, uh, and work on that, that singular focus, which is to help people come together and experience a meaningful moment of connection and hopefully inspire a little bit of a positive mental attitude. If that helps them sell better, great. If that helps them raise more money, great. If that helps them be a better dad, great. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of really lonely people out there, most notably myself. And if we can help groups of people feel seen and heard and accepted and connected, it'll inspire more creativity and innovation and a lighter heart and a little bit less miserable of an existence. And so we do that, whether it's just who I meet at the local bodega in New York City, or if it's stepping on stage in front of thousands of people at a keynote, or if it's helping produce some kind of intimate 40 person gathering. Um, so who I am and, and, and what we are working on is a very intertwined answer. Could you tell us a little bit, go back to the more beginning of your journey. I remember talking with you earlier and you had mentioned that you actually worked in theater for a time. Oh yeah. Yes, let's uh, take it back to there and, and see where you can take it from that's there. That's a great, great part of the story to go back to. Um, you know, when I first moved to New York City, I... I moved here on my 24th birthday, Thursday, August 31st, 2011. I arrived at about 4.30 p.m. with about $8,000 in my pocket, no college degree, no job, a little bit of a criminal record, living on my buddy's couch in Brooklyn. And I didn't know what I wanted to be. I mean, the only things I'd ever been in life were a a commercial boat captain, a kayak tour guide, a stand-up paddleboard instructor, and a, a little bit of a wannabe entrepreneur with a video production company. So I didn't really know what I wanted to be, but I called up my dad and I said, Dad, I think I want to be an actor. And that was a very unique proposition for a, a real estate agent <laughs> to hear <laughs> that his son wanted to be an actor. But he said, you know, Chris, I don't know much about acting. But uh, I've got this old friend. His name's Tony. 
and I, I think he's you know near near retired by now. He was a big actor in the 70s and 80s. Um, you should give him a call. He might let you you know come over and ask him questions about the business. So me, a 24 year old guy, arranged to go see this great 74 year old amazing actor at his big penthouse on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And why I'm telling you this story is I showed up to that uh, with a thousand, must have been a thousand questions scribbled on a yellow legal pad of paper that I was ready to ask him about the business. Mm -hmm. And the minute that I walked into this legend's home, he took that piece of paper, crumpled it up and threw it away. Instead, he handed me a rock and the rock had an ancient dinosaur footprint, fossil, shell, whatever in it. And we spent the next five or six hours asking this rock questions about life. And the curiosity and the wackiness and the connection and a couple bottles of wine and some great pasta sauce. I found myself my first job in New York City. Tony and I fell so much in love with spending time together that he said, why don't you come back next week? We'll figure out what to do. And that started my first job in the city. I was first his assistant and then we started producing plays together and we just grew from there. And God, that was fun. I got to learn the streets, the walk, the talk of New York City from an old pro, a legend, a street fighting Brooklyn tough guy. And along the way, I watched how he brought together the biggest people in the world over a simple meal. Everywhere he would go, some big wig politician, billionaire, CEO, whatever, would beg Tony for this CEO kind of person to bring over, you know, eight or 10 people to Tony's house where we could cook them a simple pasta dinner. And we did that with the best and the brightest alongside producing wonderful theatrical productions. And I saw the power of the dinner table. Now, years would go by. I'm still working in theater, traveling around the world, producing plays with Tony. And it's July of 2015. Been doing this for four years by that point. And we're over in Rome, Italy. We're putting on a big Broadway play over there. And I get back to New York City and I say, oh, crap, this whole theater thing just ain't it. Right. Rome woke me up. It made me feel alive. They walk different. They talk different. They love history different. When I got back to New York City, I realized, as some of your listeners probably feel right now, lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, insecure, anxious and filled with uncertainty. And I said, this ain't it. What I had that feeling over in Rome that was living. So I thought back, what was it about Rome that really changed my life? It's how they ate 
food with their friends amongst community to the wee hours of the morning. And I said, oh, my God, Tony's been doing that for four years. They've been doing that over in Rome. I should do that here in New York City. So I invented a, a pasta sauce recipe. I figured I should feed it to people to see if it was even good or not. I decided to host a dinner party. People showed up to my home. They all brought a bottle of wine. We worked together to create the meal. We had a shared group experience. And I asked a simple question at that very first dinner. I'll talk about the question in just a little bit, but everybody cried. They loved the pasta sauce. I fell in love with connecting people and creating safe spaces for people to gather. And we've sparked over 500,000 relationships in the last eight years. And I figured out what I'm actually going to do for the rest of my life. And that's my story in a nutshell. It's really amazing to see when you tell it that way, how it kind of all the little pieces really run throughout Yeah. that whole that whole thing. And I think we've, we all find those little pieces in life that lo and behold, 30 years later, 20 years later. Oh, that's the piece. It wasn't part of the other part of the journey, which we thought it was. It was some other piece. Yeah. As you look at when you decided that, you know, doing the theater thing wasn't your thing, how did you go through your thought process on that? Was that something that was just kind of instinctual or was that something you really kind of put a whole bunch of deep thought into as, as you went through that, that transition? Yeah, I think, um, you know, July 15th, 2015 was my very first dinner party with 15 friends that didn't know each other over a bowl of pasta sauce my in my buddy Tripp's backyard. And after that dinner party, we made a very simple rule. The first time you come to dinner, you have to come alone. Second time you come to dinner, you're allowed to bring a friend. After that, you're eligible to nominate whoever you want to attend without you being there. And we made a commitment to host a dinner party every week, once a week for free in our home. <laughs> July, August, September, October. It just so happened that the more I started falling in love with the dinner table, the less I fell, well, the more I fell out of love with theater. And... I mean, Tony had just gotten married, so he had this amazing new wife, and they were traveling the world. So we were just naturally drifting apart for no no bad reasons, just, you know, yeah. energies of life shift. And so I quit my theater job uh, in, on, on December 21st of 2015, and on Wednesday, December 23rd at 3.30 p.m. EST on uh, of 2015, two days later, I'm on the phone with my buddy's V band, a very uh, successful tech entrepreneur. And he started listening to why I would want to use his customer relationship management software, his CRM system called Contactually. Mm -hmm. And I said to him at the time, well, I'm hosting these dinner parties and I'm meeting so many people and I want to keep track of who I've met. He said, well, oh, that's interesting, or your dinner parties. You should read a book 
that was written by a friend of his named Jason Gaynard called Mastermind Dinners. He hosts a ton of dinner parties and he figured out how to turn it into a business. So I put that in the back of my mind. January 2nd of 2016, I rented a tiny one-person office in WeWork Penn Station. And I started thinking about the rest of my life. Fast forward a whole month on Sunday, January 29th, 2016, I went snow sledding with my friend Dave Lindsay and my friend Tripp, who actually hosted my very first dinner party. And after that snow sledding, we go back up to Dave's uh, apartment and, and he's built a, a nice little 2000 person company himself. So he's a pretty good CEO as well. And he said, Chris, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? I said, well, we've, we've done well in theater. We've won awards for social media marketing. I used to run a video production company. I come from a real estate background and I have my dinner parties. He said, which one of those has probably the worst long-term potential? I said, probably the dinner parties. He said, which one of those would be the hardest to get your start in? I said, probably the dinner parties. He said, which one are you the most emotionally connected to? I said, definitely my dinner parties. He said, good, pick that and that alone. I said, why only that? He told me an old Russian proverb, you can't chase two rabbits at the same time, they'll both get away. Focus equals growth. And it was then that I realized that there's no shortage of good ideas in this world, just a shortage of good execution. And I picked the dinner parties, I lived on my life savings, I got some generous help from my parents, me and my girlfriend Molly, we lived on rice and beans, and we just figured that shit out. And it took a whole year after that decision to actually make a formidable business around it. But but it was a start. I loved how you put in that work and you had to make that decision of focus. And focus so many growth. right, and so many of us just lose focus on so many things. As well. We live we live in a world of shiny objects. Yes, we do. When you started moving to doing these dinner parties, you know, let's get the cat out of the bag a little bit. And what is the question? Let's go there. Uh, yeah. Or a version well, of the question, shall we say? So, at that very first dinner party on July fifteenth, two thousand fifteen, we looked at the dinner. So, uh, arrivals were at six thirty p.m. sharp. We wanted, so we wanted dinner served at 8 p.m. So at 7.47 p.m., we put the pasta in the pot and delegated 11 specific tasks to empower the attendees to work together to create the meal. It takes 13 minutes to cook pasta al dente. And so if you think about the, the evening, we worked together, we served each other, kind of lowered some barriers, kind of removed a little bit of the ego, instilled a posture of otherness, a service to others. So by the time we got done with the main course, we're sitting there about to eat the dessert. I stand up and tell a naughty, naughty little joke. Everybody cries. I sit down. And then I ask, 
if you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, that you've never thought to thank, who would that be? And Glenn, when I ask that question, every single person around that table physically took a deep breath and sat back in their chair. Metaphorically, emotionally, reflectively saying, oh, shit, who have I never thought to thank? God, I'm a piece of crap. How to? Oh, no, my mom? What? So they're 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 reaching way back and they're taking a pause. And why that's so important is and I bet a lot of your listeners really feel this right now. You know, you all let Glenn, if you agree, let Glenn know if you agree with this. A lot of you are probably very future focused, you know, future oriented individuals. You probably got goals. You probably got dreams. You've probably convinced yourself I can be happy when or if something in the future occurs. I get it. But the thing about the world that you need to know is the future is not promised. Future is filled with great uncertainty. And oftentimes we measure the distance between where we are and where we want to be. And that creates misery. It's called the forward gap. And so when I ask that question, that gratitude question of who have they never thought to thank, it gave people permission to take a pause, to come into the present, practice mindfulness, and then reach way back into their past or yesterday into their past (laughs) and pull forth some amazing stories that they could share with the group. And when they did that, They got to share some amazing stories. They got to own that narrative. They got to own that story. And the people around the dinner table got the benefit of hearing it. So it it felt great for them to give that gratitude. It felt good for the other dinner party people to observe that gratitude. And, oh, if someone was thanking someone that was at that table, it felt good for that person to receive that gratitude. It was great all the way. I was lucky enough to participate in one of these and the beautiful depths of gratitude that come from this is so amazing. I, you know, you feel it through the soul and as you're talking about it, you share and most of these people you don't know. Right. And with that, it's amazing to see what connections can be built through gratitude. And Thank you for saying that, Glenn, and, and you've been such a, a wonderful participant for so many of our gratitude experiences. And I think what's uh, specific about one of your sentences is how you said how good it felt to connect through gratitude and to share that story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we believe that gratitude has been misused for so many years. Most people only think about it as a self-reflective practice that they do in a journal that they put in the bedside table that never sees the light of day. But, you know, that's good. That's good. But the full use case of gratitude is when you do it in a pro-social way. The full use case of gratitude 
is when you don't give gratitude to some event or immeasurable quality of life, but actually give it to another person. Barbara Fredrickson is a great researcher who says that to be grateful is to be grateful to someone. The pro-social nature of gratitude is when its, its benefits are fully you know, felt and received. Absolutely. How do you feel like when, as you've gone through this, how, do you, how have you seen participants really kind of grow with gratitude? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I don't often get to see the full lingering benefits or effects. Um, but, you know, growing with gratitude, um, the intention is not to create a gratitude practice. Mm -hmm. Growing with gratitude the intention is to use gratitude as some sort of a authentic in the moment micro intervention that can help open you up to so many other benefits in life. And what I've seen is people become more humble. What I've seen is them become better question askers, better creators of safe space, I've seen partnerships develop. Mm -hmm. I've seen friendships be reignited. I've seen all these things in between. Um, I mean, some of the great benefits are, um, you know, when you give an authentic expression of gratitude in a group setting, it's a very vulnerable activity. And that vulnerability if others meet you in that vulnerability, that's a moment of connection. Right. And so the psychological safety and trust that can be built through that vulnerability leads to stronger cultures. It impacts performance. It decreases attrition. Uh, people have started companies that do many millions of dollars in revenue. It's It's been great. People have... You know, we always say that at, at one of our gratitude experiences, you can go deeper, faster, more impactful in those couple hours of time than in years of friendship. So complete strangers can meet each other and witness each other's vulnerability at an experience and develop the psychological safety and trust needed to go mm -hmm. co-found a company together. Yeah. It's that short amount of time. It's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, it's really amazing. I I look at that trust that you get in those sessions. It's like, how has it always been that way? Where every time or most of the times it's like, yeah, we just by dropping that gratitude in and, and everybody being vulnerable, has it really just kind of naturally occurred or is that something that took a little working for you to kind of uh, learn? I think any good experience that any of us produce mm -hmm. is heavily reliant upon a good host, a good space, a good flow and good attendees. And 
if you have really good people in the room but a shitty host, it'll never happen. If you have a really great host but a shitty space, it can happen. If you have a really great host, a really great space, shitty workflow, but great people, might not happen. So all these things have to line up and you have to play around with it. Mm-hmm. So how we would invite people, the scene we would set up, the way we'd communicate the intention, the stories we tell, all happen to build up to the moment that we invite them to participate in a vulnerable way. And yeah, we've missed the mark a number of times, uh, but after 626 experiences, I think it's only been one or two times that we've actually missed the mark. Um, and we've got a yeah a proven system. Um, doesn't doesn't matter what human being you put into it. If I show up performing my best, and we put the right structures and, and mm-hmm. rules and formulas in most people have a heart of gold you just got to yeah. get down to it yeah no, I, I think that's a great thought as you've gone through this and obviously covid threw a wrench into things uh why don't we visit your pivot through through the covid times because i think that was a really unique way to do it and i love what you did is that's how i learned about you and how i participated Everybody had challenges during that time, but I think you adapted really well. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So what Glenn was just mentioning is that a hundred percent of the work we did to bring people together, create meaningful moments of connection, inspire a positive mental attitude, whether it was in groups of 20 or groups of 2000, a hundred percent of it happened in person. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hit. And we had this new book. We had an impending book tour. We had all these great things lined up for the year. We were really flying high and having fun. Our first book was just about to come out in April of 2020. It was called Gratitude and Pasta, The Secret Sauce for Human Connection. Forbes magazine had ranked it the number two book of the year to create human connection. Okay, this is what we're known for. And then when COVID hit, I found myself for the second time in five years since that Italy trip of 2015, I found myself lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, insecure. I had just gotten back from Italy on February 28th of 2020, right as the world was shutting down. And there we were. All our clients you know, paused their accounts. All our events were frozen or canceled. We had to, you know, let go of a few people. Mm -hmm. 
it was a it was a tough time for an in-person event company. <laughs> yeah. yeah and then we looked around the internet and 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 we looked around at our friend group and we re- realized we're not the only ones that felt lonely and fulfilled, disconnected and secure. And we said, how do we bring these people together in a meaningful way, even from, you know, different parts of the country? Oh, let's go to Zoom. Let's host a virtual gratitude experience. So our first one was April 19th, 2020, about a month into the uh, pandemic, or was it March? Sorry, March 19th. Hey, I forget my dates. Um, either March 19th or April 19th, and we hosted a virtual, uh, a virtual, ex- uh, a virtual dinner. Let's call it. <laughs> Eight people showed up. There was no gratitude question. There was no this. It was just all eight of us just sitting on Zoom talking. It was mediocre at best. Mm-hmm. And I said, what were we missing? That signature gratitude question. So on April 26th or March 26th, golly, um, literally seven days later, we hosted our second experience. This time gratitude was involved. This time we used breakout groups. This time everybody cried. And then we hosted a virtual gratitude experience every night of the pandemic for the next couple months where 30 to 100 people came every night and they got together and they got to connect and they got to share some amazing stories. And we got so good at that that eventually, by the time June rolled around, the phone started ringing again. And companies were calling us to do this with their teams, their spread out group of clients, whatever it was. And we had a big pivot. The whole thought going back to how you were doing that originally with the pasta and all that connection, it was really interesting to say, see how really well it connected with Zoom and being able to do it. Because really, that question is a big driver. It really, really worked out. Oh, I just looked up. It was, yeah, oh, yeah, March 19th and then March 26th. So, yeah, six days after, I mean, March 12th, we hosted an in-person dinner for this real estate agent named Ryan Surahant. He sold tickets for five grand ahead to come to our dinner party and he we brought 16 people together for dinner and then that was thursday march 12th and then friday march 13th was like the doomsday every office shut down in new york city so six days later we had our first virtual dinner that's a, that's a remarkable pivot yeah, a lot of people didn't didn't great, pivot near great, as fast. Really been impressed with how that really impacted myself as as well as so many other people during that really trying time for all of us. How how have things 
pivoted and changed for you since things have opened up? It seems like you guys have been a little bit all over the place in terms of going places yeah. and writing and do it. You've got a lot going on these days. So how have the events continued and and how does that look for you guys these days? Yeah, so virtual, I mean, we produced, I think, 380 virtual gratitude experiences since the start of the pandemic, bringing our grand total up to uh, 626 that we've produced as a company since founding. And virtual is going really great. Um and then at the beginning of this year, virtual started slowing down. Mm-hmm. Uh, very noticeably, virtual is, is uh, you know, just kind of fell off the wagon yeah. in, uh, in early 2023. And so we started pivoting back to in-person things. And that's been going great. Um, you know, well, it's a lot harder to produce a ton of, in-person things Mm -hmm. than it is virtual things because virtual I can I can be impacting groups of people you know five times a day all I got to do is turn on the zoom and there's 200 people waiting for me um but in person is a little bit different so it's less scalable uh but we're learning how to get on bigger and bigger stages so that instead of doing it in front of uh, a couple hundred people at a time, yeah. we can do it in front of uh, maybe 10,000 people at a time. And so, you know, you, you increase your impact with less amount of time. Just to pivot a little bit, love the events and everything else. Let's talk a little bit more just straight gratitude. So how do you feel like going through all of these things, gratitude has affected you? Well, I'll be honest for your listeners and tell them that even though I've built an entire business around gratitude, I'm one of the world's worst gratitude practitioners. Gratitude, when, when, uh, when done right, can create some extreme humility it can create some super meaningful moments of connection. It can help you see the world in a very empathetic way. And I certainly struggle with all three of those things on a daily basis in a big way. So I'm not the best practitioner at it. Um, what gratitude has represented for me is just a great toolkit that I can always have in my back pocket to help me through a hard time. So it's not that gratitude prevents the hard time from Mm -hmm. occurring. I mean, shitty things are always going to happen to us in life, but gratitude can help turn that shitty moment into a positive moment. It can help us look back at the shitty moment and say, wow, there's actually like five or six positive benefits that came from that bad experience. Right. I'm actually grateful that it occurred. It's now done a really yeah. lot of positive for me. Yeah, I think gratitude through hard times is is a tough one. 
And I think it's one of those that that we all need to to practice and work on. And it it isn't easy. I wouldn't expect it, you know you to be, you to be doing it all the time or myself to be doing it all the time. I think it, it's one of those things that we really need to to find those times when we need to do it, especially. Absolutely. It's, um, you know, it, it, in terms of the opening up effect, uh, there's a, there's a researcher that I mentioned earlier in the call named Barbara Fredrickson, who has something called the broaden and build theory of positive emotions. And what she, what she's found is that most of us walk through this world essentially trained to see the negative. We have a negative memory bias. We remember things that hurt us. That served us very well when we were cavemen roaming around the plains and we had to think at every moment of the day to think about the things that could kill us. Now, unfortunately, well, fortunately, we're not cavemen running around the planet, so there's less threat uh, in everyday you know, life, but our brain still operates uh, with a negative memory bias like mm-hmm. it did when we were cavemen. And this creates what's called a narrow, a narrow thought action repertoire. The metaphor for you listeners is to say that most of us walk around with blinders on, kind of like the horse blinders that are put over the eyes with the horse and buggies. So we don't have good periphery. We can't see the broader whole. What gratitude does is rewires the different parts of the brain, shuts down the amygdala filter and increases serotonin and dopamine to feel positive emotions. What this does is broadens our thought action repertoire, opening us up to feel joy, contentment, pride, and optimism. And this, and and play, and connection, and creativity. So when you're talking about the opening up, gratitude not only helps you open up the heart, but it helps open up the mind for the possibilities of the positive things that can come in the future. Um, And that's so important when so many people convince themselves that the future is dark, the future is doom and gloom, and the future is lacking opportunity. No, gratitude shifts you into the positive and broadens your ability to see those positive moments of play and connection and all this kind of stuff. Absolutely. We're kind of uh, starting to reach the end of our time here. So how can people get in touch with you? Uh, they they, can, they can find us on LinkedIn. Um, Chris Shembra on LinkedIn. We're always posting content. We're always sharing podcasts. We love bringing on these, you know, the, the, the episode that just launched today was the chief scientist of workplace well-being at Gallup mm-hmm. and he was explaining all these big scientific stuff so there's all these kind of things that we post on our LinkedIn that people can follow very good very good so um 
I usually close out with with two quick questions. Um, the first one is, do you have a favorite quote that you that you use or or, or go with um, as part of uh, life? Well, that focus equals growth thing is a, a very very important quote in my life, mm -hmm. but I've already used it on the podcast. So I'll say a different one, which is that maybe a Marcus Aurelius quote, which is that actually I'll do a Lynn, uh, man, what, what should I do? I'll do a Marcus Aurelius quote and I'll say the one about retirement. So Marcus Aurelius was an emperor of Rome from a, uh, 100 and, uh, 161 to 180 AD, and he lived a really hard life, and he said this, this simple thing. He said, men seek retirement in the country, on the seacoast, and in the mountains, and you, too, have frequent longings for such distractions. Yet surely this is a great folly since you may retire into yourself at any hour you please. Nowhere can a man find any retreat more quiet and more full of leisure than in his own soul. Constantly, therefore, allow yourself this retirement and so renew yourself. And why I think that's so important is that all of us are obsessed with that next vacation, that next travel, that next movie, that next podcast, that next book. But all those things are doing is just distracting us from the ability to go within our own soul at any moment's notice. Mindfulness, meditation, and gratitude are three great tools for helping you get there. Love that. And can you tell us a little bit about, I think I usually ask about a book um, that you might recommend. To start with, tell us the two of, of yours, and since we haven't covered that yet. And then if you have another recommendation as well. The first book, Gratitude and Pasta, The Secret Sauce for Human Connection, which Forbes ranked as the number two book of 2020 to create human connection will teach you quite literally or quite simply how to host an 18 person dinner party that makes everybody cry. The second book, Gratitude Through Hard Times, Finding Positive Benefits Through Your Darkest Hour, hit number one on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list in 2022. And it will teach you how to find positive benefits that you can be grateful for. Even if your dog just died, your mom never loved you, your boss hates you, whatever. And the book that I'd recommend to everybody for further inquiry on these topics is probably Oliver Berkman's 4,000 Weeks Time Management for Mortals. Very it's good. not a time management book. It's a book to help you rethink how you spend your time. I like that. Many of us probably Re could use that. Rediscovering, yeah, rediscovering rest, the loneliness of the digital nomad, 
you know, cosmic insignificance therapy, all these cool things. Well, thank you, Chris. It's been a joy having you. Glenn, you've been amazing. Thank you for having me. This has been From Stuck to Growth with Glenn Leifert. Don't forget to subscribe. We're also around on Instagram at From Stuck to Growth, as well as at FromStuckToGrowth.com. See you next time. This has been From Stuck to Growth with Glenn Leifert. Don't forget to subscribe. We're also around on Instagram at From Stuck to Growth, as well as at FromStuckToGrowth.com. See you next time.